News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Messias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 113 of the Luke Messias Show. I am joined by a pretty long time friend and fellow conservative in Texas, Chip Roy, who uh, has been my congressman for a little while. Uh, I tell people it was the first time I was really happy about voting for my congressman. And uh, and that's not something that most Americans can say, I would say. So thank you for that, Chip. But uh, we met when you were in Texas doing various conservative things. I think you were working for Rick Perry at the time. I believe that's right. It was about a decade ago. When yeah. I was working for the governor and I uh, was considering whether I might want to run for something. Yep. And then, of course, I, you know, battled cancer. And yep. uh, yeah, we've known each other for at least around a decade. Yeah. Yep. And we'll get into a little bit of your bio uh, here over over time. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk not only as a as a congressman, mm-hmm. just as a fellow conservative, right? And we, I think, as a nation, as a state, as a culture, we're in a bit of a trying time. And um, well, when I say we, when I'm often talking about the issues we believe in, I'm out and about. I, I it's never about we, Congress, or mm-hmm. we. It's it's we, the people of Texas, mm-hmm. and what it is that we need to do to try to save not just our country, but to save our way of life, because that's actually what's at stake right now. Mm-hmm. Um. So when it comes to biologically, whether we're a man and a woman, when it comes to whether or not we have a nation that has a border, whether it comes to whether or not the money we spend, which is at this point in most situations, whether it's local government, state, federal, is it our money or is it our grandkids' money? Is it our great-great-grandkids' money at this point? Um, Our churches... The values that we hold, the things that America even believed in, the things that we even agreed to generally made an American are kind of all being questioned right now. And I think as a conservative, we can take a step back and view the fact that certain ideas we had that maybe were a little more mainstream are becoming more and more and more radical. What are we supposed to do as a result of that? Well, I mean, first of all, uh, I believe that we are in an existential moment for the country, right? And we know that in five years from this July, we're going to be staring at our 250th birthday, right? Mm-hmm. In 2026. Yep. And I think it's, it's, it's a good moment for reflection and to have some introspection about what this country has done for the world, what it has done for us, uh, but what's at stake right now. And, you know, people too often, you know, view this through political lenses, uh, that go down the list of issues, the checkbox list of issues mm-hmm. when you're a candidate and so forth. Right now, our way of life is directly under assault. Mm-hmm. That's that's the truth. Uh, and it's not even just a conservative versus liberal. This is just straight up, are you able to live free mm-hmm. and have free thought and believe in the things that are? Right. Mm -hmm. You saw that was it a CNN study, you know, or CNN report about, you know, uh, controversy about determining the biologic sex of, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like literally for, you know, if there's 8 billion people in the world, 7.999 billion know precisely how to determine the sex (laughs) of of any animal. Yep. Uh, Yet for some knuckleheads, they don't they can't figure that out. Yet they're the ones deciding policy and they're the ones, you know, driving all of the media stories. And and I'll just say and I'm bouncing around a little bit, but I'll just say. You know, I got off of social media for the most part mm-hmm. in January. Yep. It may not be permanent, 
but it was in part to cleanse my head of the noise mm. because for two years I've been in the trenches like fighting and, yep. you know, a tough campaign against Wendy Davis, but importantly trying to fight the fight in DC, protect against two impeachments, you know, to defend Trump against that, that assault, you know, and the assault against our way of life. And then here we sit and I needed some cleansing of that mm. a little time with the family, yeah. a little introspection, a little prayer to get to your point. We right now need to buckle down and remember that, this is a fight that is something bigger than the issues day to day at the ballot mm. box or that's on the news or being voted on the house yes. floor. This is assault on whether or not you can speak freely, believe what you want to believe, believe in God, believe in family, believe in man and woman, believe in your constitutional rights, exercise those rights. Mm -hmm. And, and if you, if you dare get out of the orthodoxy of the cultural elites in Washington or New York, you will be made to bow down. Mm. We're seeing that, right? Yep. You will be made, you will be canceled, you will be doxxed, you will be targeted. And we consider and go through example yep. after example. Yep. That's the fight. There is literally a bill that was heard in the Texas Senate today that is going to put restrictions on financial institutions mm -hmm. from canceling gun manufacturers, gun companies, right? I mean, we, we literally could, in the next several years, encounter situations where certain credit cards say, well, you can't buy a gun Correct. with this credit card. I mean- I think if I had brought that up to you five years ago, which I wouldn't because I'm not as much of a prophet as you know, other people, but even you would probably have gone, uh, I don't know that we're going to go there. I don't know if that's exactly where we're headed. Or maybe you did. But I think the question is, conservatives in America, which I believe is still 50, around 50% 50 of our nation, um, I think for a long time saw the Republican Party, or maybe didn't because the Republican Party ended up for a pretty big period of time being the party that slowly ushered in this demise, right? I mean, this is happening around mm -hmm. us. We don't like where we're going, but hey, it's a lot slower with us in charge than with the other guys. And all of a sudden, Donald Trump comes in in 2016. And uh, I feel like for you and I, he didn't he didn't necessarily represent everything we thought we had been fighting for, right. if that makes sense. But, like we've been but fighting for four years. He sure as heck did. That's right. right. I mean, and yep. and stood up on a wall that Republicans refused to do yep. for years. Um, no, you you couldn't be more correct about the extent to which Republicans created much of the mess that we're in mm. because they didn't stand up on bright line principles to draw a clear contrast and distinction between Democrats. They just mm -hmm. sold Democrat light. Yep. Healthcare. I mean, go down the list of issues. Yep. Let's talk about border security for a minute. Yes. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, three weeks ago, when I was in D.C., I was raising an issue on spending on earmarks mm -hmm. to use another example yes where republicans were horrific on earmarks big spending appropriators bridge to nowhere all corrupt but in 2009 10 11 tea party's born we come in and then you've got the freedom caucus and you have all this effort we banned earmarks because yep. we recognized that corruption involved yep. and the american people said okay we might back you uh, now, what happens three weeks ago? Republicans vote. The House mm -hmm. Republicans voted to re-embrace earmarks. Mm. So I, I lost my, you know what? Yep. And went and uh, started raising issues. Put out a letter saying I'm not going to request earmarks. But in my speech to the conference, and I think we moved it. The vote's close to 50-50. My point was, guys, you're jumping right back into the very swamp that Donald Trump came up here to drain. Yep. You are the swamp when you do this. And oh, by the way, this is the same thing that they're mad about about immigration, healthcare, name yep. the issue. Because you take uh, immigration and border security, it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the Republicans were saying, a wall, well, that's a 19th century solution to a yep. 21st century problem. Yep. Well, what are they saying now? 
Oh, well, yeah, we support the wall. Why? Because Donald Trump got out, led yeah. on it, built 450 miles of a wall, so he moved the needle. Those guys created the environment, and now we're living in it. And I'll say one last point on that. In 2017, it was Republicans who failed to pass immigration and border security that was a good bill yes. in the summer of 17, which led to their getting their rears kicked in 2018, which led to two years of impeachment nonsense, yep. et cetera. And here we sit. There yep. are consequences yep. to not leading. I think it's interesting because you do, going back to just our general political discussion, I mean, it's real easy for every Republican congressman today to say, we have an open border and this is a problem, right? But we had an open border right after Donald Trump was elected. It's what he ran on. Yep. And it's not like he didn't want to secure the border, but Republicans had control of the purse and they didn't prioritize. Go funding. look at the laundry list of Republicans right now who are going down for photo ops in Laredo, McAllen, El yep. Paso, all over the place, stand in front of the fence. They go down and they talk about Biden and all the what's going on. Where were they five years ago? Where yep. were they 10 years ago? Nowhere. I'm telling you where they were. They were selling amnesty. They were selling, yeah. uh, you know, fake border security in exchange for something for the Chamber of Commerce. And where's the Chamber of Commerce now? Selling us down the river. Mm. That's that's what we've known for, you know, a decade yeah. and a half. But Republicans uh, refused to stand up and lead. The president did. Yeah. And God bless him for it. Yeah. Uh, but now we're dealing with the consequences of Republicans who failed to stand with him. When it comes to Republicans in D.C., how many in the caucus, is this a 50-50 between people who really think that we could be a party that's fighting for certain principles and ideas and people who are there enjoying the situation? And, you know, I mean, what is what is a realistic expectation for a normal conservative to look at Congress with? How bad or good is the situation? And I know that's hard because it, it varies on different issues. It does. And that's actually a good point. It does vary on different issues, right? I mean, we've had pretty good unanimity on some of these bad yep. Democrat yep. bills, the yep. big spending $2 trillion bill. We were unanimous on HR1, the election reform yep. bill. We were unanimous. The Equality Act, I think we bled a few. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a terrible bill. No, we shouldn't have bled a single vote. We didn't bleed many. Yep. HR8, the gun, uh, basically registration bill, we yep. bled about 10 votes. Uh, and the amnesty bill, we bled, I think, about 10 or 15 votes. So there's a few. Yep. I think we have more unanimity now than we've had in a while. Mm -hmm. I think there were some lessons learned in 2017, yep. and Paul Ryan dumped some of these big monstrosity bills and, and, and basically failed to do what the president needed to have support. Yep. And so there's been some learning. And let me actually, I was going to end on this, but let me go yep. ahead and, and throw this out there as a positive, okay? Because we're all frustrated. Yep. Okay? And everybody out there listening to this podcast, because they're listening to it, because they're you know probably yep. similar to you and yep. me, yep. and they're frustrated. They go, oh my gosh, what's happening to our country, our border and our values and everything? Well, pause. We'll, we'll talk about more of that. But think about this. Over the last 10 years, if you go back to what I just said in 2009, Obama's elected, Obamacare's coming, shovel-ready projects, we're yep. all flipping out, right? Yep. Tea Party reacts. Tea Party wave. We retake the House. Then what happens? 2010, we get Mike Lee over Bob Bennett in Utah. Yep. We get uh, Rand Paul over Trey Grayson in Kentucky. We get Marco Rubio over Charlie Crist in Florida. Yep. Marco's not always exactly where we want him to be, yep. but Much Charlie, Charlie Crist, Crist is Crist. a Democrat. <laughs> you know, and he was Charlie the NRSC Crist. preferred candidate yes, in 2010. that's correct. Ted Cruz over David Dewhurst in 2012. We go to Washington. I was Ted Cruz's chief of staff, as, yep. as many listeners will yep. know. We go down, we fight on Obamacare, filibuster, have a big fight down there, you know, make DC listen. Fast forward 2014, uh, what happens? The Freedom Caucus gets created. Now, think about how that got created. In 2013, Ted and I met with eight random congressmen in the basement of Tortilla Coast. Mm -hmm. There was no Freedom Caucus. 
Then there was a Freedom Caucus. Mm -hmm. Then in 2016, you fast forward, Donald Trump runs against the swamp. Yep. We have 40 members of the Freedom Caucus right now. Very strong. You know, maybe not every single one of them 100% lined, yep. but pretty strong. Yes. So you have 40. Uh, we're moving the needle. You yes. never would have guessed a decade ago that Donald Trump would get elected, move the embassy to Jerusalem, cut taxes, cut regulations, 200 good judges, 450 miles of fencing, 40 members in the Freedom Caucus. Yep. And now the Freedom Caucus having a seat kind of at the kind of kind of at the table to try yep. to influence the conference. That's the good news. I, 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 we should we should rally around that. Well, I was thinking about uh, you know Mark Meadows being mm -hmm. chief of staff, right? right? And I've said honestly, uh, in Texas, I don't think anybody would ever expect our governor's chief of staff to be a Freedom Caucus member. I think in most states, with the executive, they are not going to the most conservative group and saying, "Hey, you come head up my office." I mean, that does show a different perspective when it comes to not only the influence that that organization has on a national stage that it might not have on a state-based stage. And also just the reality of how far conservatives have come. These are some people who six years ago, to your point, might be told, hey, you're just a nobody congressman who's not even making an impact to you're the chief of staff at the White House. Well, <laughs> That's a and consider before Mark. Now, obviously, he had yes. the sort of the, the, the Ryan's Priebus moment yep. and then, you yep. know, Kelly. And so there was that early six months. And frankly, with all due respect, those first six months were a little rocky. Yep. You know, they had some issues in communicating. Yep. What are we going to do on health care and immigration? And man, they got in stride. You know, uh, Mick Mulvaney, who mm -hmm. was a former Freedom Caucus guy, yes. and stood up on the on the spending and earmarks fight and other stuff. Um, and then Mark and, you know, we, we, it is, it does say a lot and it says a lot about where president Trump was taking our country and he knew, uh, where his bread, bread was being buttered in terms of support in Congress. And, and, and I do think all of that matters and it informs our thinking right now while we're frustrated mm -hmm. because I actually believe that the moment right now, maybe not unlike 1979 when we were right after Vietnam, right after Watergate. You had Iran uh, hostages. You had, you know, uh, really hyperinflation. You had mm -hmm. high interest rates, you know, gas lines. I go down the list. It yep. wasn't good. Yep. And then we come in with Reagan and Morning in America, and he fights against the swamp in, in yep. those early stages and didn't get it as far as you and I would have preferred. But he ushered in a, a pretty good long wave of overall conservatism. Yep. And I think we've got an opportunity right now. And I'm going to say this. One awesome thing about COVID is the veil has been lifted on our corrupt education system. Mm. And I think people are seeing what our kids have been getting, you know, brainwashed into believing over the last 30 or 40 years. Those of us who homeschool or private school or yep. we our kids aren't brainwashed. Yep. But the you know, poor folks have been sending their kids to public school and yep. they, they because they can't afford another choice. Uh, you know, we've been teaching our kids America's evil. We've mm -hmm. been teaching our kids all of this uh terrible stuff. This could be a moment, like the good Lord works in mysterious ways. Mm -hmm. This could be a moment to shock the conscience of the American people and seeing what happens. You have open borders and cartels empowered and high interest rates and spending that's out of control and, yep. and, and what they're doing and saddling up with Iran and appeasing China. And people go, whoa, 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 we don't need that. And we could have a massive pendulum swing back. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying what's possible. we yes. got to go make it happen, though. Absolutely. You mentioned the border, and I think that there's an interesting conversation and I've, I've seen multiple people have it at different times. Um, I don't know that either party has strongly decided that it believes that we should actually have a border. And what I mean by that is um, I think there are those, and you've been literally loud about this issue throughout all of Donald Trump's presidency mm -hmm. through Biden's presidency. There are a lot of Republicans who do believe we should have a border. We should be a nation with a border, mm -hmm. but I don't know that there's generally accepted principles within either party that says we should be a nation that actually decides who does and doesn't come in. Mm -hmm. And then we can have a policy discussion as a nation on 
how broad that is, how narrow that is, right? And so there's this generally accepted thing, and I think the liberals have been smart to figure out, actually, wait, if you don't have a border, you can just flood as many people across as possible, and people generally feel that the humane thing to do would be to not send these people home. And then eventually people feel bad about deporting anyone. So we in, we're we in this endless cycle that without an actual secured border, how do you end? And so that's actually because we'll get into a little bit more of your experience on the border. In fact, why don't you tell us about some of the things that even recently, because you've been down there, you've traveled down there. I know there's been some news stories, so I'd love to hear some of those stories. But I also want your thoughts on, is there anything other than actually securing the border with an actual wall, with actual personnel, with a policy that says you may not enter except through these channels. And then yes, how humanitarian should those channels be or not be? I'm just trying to think of what is the actual solution to this problem? Well, first of all, this is a topic we could spend an entire podcast alone yes. on and happy to do that another yeah, time. Definitely. Uh, it, it merits that. And yes. we should have that. And and I hope to have more conversations. I hope to have a round table here in San Antonio about uh, cartels with some prominent mm -hmm. folks soon. But let's start with my recent experiences. I've been to the border many, many times in my mm -hmm. career as a staffer, as a former federal prosecutor, first yep. assistant attorney general. But then repeat now as a member of Congress, I've been down there, I think, five times, six mm -hmm. times since, since I've been yep. in Congress, um, which is only about 27 months. Tells you how important it's been. Yep. Um, most recently, last Monday, 10 days ago from this time that you and I are talking, I was uh, in McAllen and was down there on the night, Monday night. And... When I go to the border now, I don't do any of the dog and pony show. I don't yep. do the helicopter ride to the boat tours or go to DEA to go look at a stash of, you know, marijuana yep. or whatever they've got. I've seen all that. What I usually do is go down and for one quick briefing, go and have dinner, but then I go down with people who know what's going on to the river mm -hmm. and go talk to migrants in this case, in this environment in particular, talk to migrants coming over and talk to line border patrol mm. because they're the ones who will tell you the truth, yep. right? You're not going to get the truth from all the talking heads and the yep. higher ups. So you go get the truth. And so when I was down there last Monday, I, I talked to about 50 migrants that came across, okay? Myself, just there at night, yeah. talking about 50 of them. I talked to a seven-year-old girl, Luke, who was by herself, seven mm -hmm. years old, from I think Honduras, if I remember it correctly, Honduras or Guatemala, by herself. There was a 12-year-old boy there seemingly taking care of her, not sure. Um, he had met her halfway through Mexico. Mm -hmm. Now think about that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I've got a daughter, she's 10, a son mm -hmm. who's 11. It broke my heart. Mm -hmm. Her mom's name was written on her arm, under her shirt, and she pulled it up and showed, mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you what the number was, yep. where it was, but it was a state, and she had the phone number. Um, uh, allegedly her mom, but we don't know. Now, I can sit here and go through all sorts of stories yes. about all the people I talk to, but what's happening right now on the border is an absolute abomination. As we, as Christians, as human beings, uh, we should be appalled mm -hmm. at what the Biden administration is doing in the name of compassion, and it is the false name of compassion. They are selling a bill of goods, and they are empowering cartels, they are endangering American citizens, and they're endangering the migrants that they say they're helping. Little girls getting you know, abused on the journey. Uh, cartels taking these people and selling them into the sex trade or human trafficking trade right here in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. It's going on as you and I speak. Mm -hmm. I met with the district attorney of Bernie last week. Uh, she and I discussed a case where they had an American citizen employee of the Cartel Don Reste, Los Zetas, that operated under Nuevo Laredo. He had a carload of five illegal immigrants, and he was taking them to a stash house in Houston to put them into the human trafficking trade, mm. slave labor and sex trafficking. One of the boys in the car, we knew, had paid $4,000 to the Cartel Don Reste to go to California to pick grapes. Mm. He didn't know he was about to get sent to Houston. Thankfully for him, we intercepted him. But this is going on 
every day. Mm. The cartels are getting rich, they're getting powerful, and currently they run Tamaulipas, the state yep. across Rio Grande. Yes. Now, we could talk about this for hours, but what I'm telling you is, whatever, however bad you think it is at the border, it's worse. 171,000 apprehensions in, Feb in March, mm -hmm. uh, over 100,000 in February. We've had over 350,000 this calendar year. Uh, we have 20,000 kids in custody. We have uh, an unbelievable uh, burden on our border patrol mm -hmm. who can no longer police the border. They're being pulled off the line to run processing centers while dangerous fentanyl comes in between the ports of entry and dangerous individuals. They estimate about 1,000 a day of people who come in who are gotaways and they, they, they never get apprehended. Um, we had the, the uh, Del Rio sector, they estimate 26,000 in that sector alone that they've had come through this fiscal year uh, because of camera traffic. Mm. That cameras don't pick up all the traffic. I could keep going. Yep. That's the state of your border. Yep. And you ask about whether there's a, a resolve to have a sovereign nation with a secure border. The answer is for the, for the Democratic Party, I'm unaware of more than a handful. Yes. And among the Republicans, Every one of them will talk a big game. Yep. I believe today it is better than it's ever been. Yep. Because of President Trump being willing to hold the line, build a fence, and make this yep. an issue. And now because we're seeing how bad this really is. Yep. But I'm just telling you, I'm going to keep pointing out the hypocrisy of Republicans for two decades. We're happy to stand at the Rio Grande with one sign in their hand saying no trespassing. And then wink, wink, nod, nod with another hand. They have a sign saying help wanted here while they hug the Chamber of Commerce. Yes. That's what your Republican Party was doing for two decades. Yep. And we saw it on display, as I said before, in 2017, when they, when they tried to pass a garbage bill in yep. the summer of 17 that didn't secure the border and was amnesty. Mm -hmm. They got their bluff called by the Freedom Caucus and some others to force mm -hmm. to vote on a different bill. Yep. But it, they, we couldn't get it across the finish line because by then the Republican leadership had blown it. I believe right now we have an opportunity to force the hand of Republicans to stand up to secure the border in yep. this environment. And my call to anybody listening to this, hold me accountable, hold every member of Congress accountable. Republicans better darn well secure the border. And the solution is secure the border yep. first. Secure yep. it. You defined it better than anybody's ever defined it in Washington. Know who's coming in and out. Yep. Simply know the answer and then debate. 1 million legal immigrants each year, 2 million, 5 Three, million, five. zero. Fine, have that debate. That's right. But right now, secure the border. Yep. And, and if you don't do that, I'm telling you, if you're a, 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 a suburbanite in San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, Chicago, yep. cartels are operating in your neighborhood, moving people into human trafficking, moving yep. dangerous fentanyl today. It's mm -hmm. happening. It's, to, to your point, I think it is further along than it ever has been. More Republicans are talking about it than they've ever talked about it before. Um, you just told a story, and I think the stories that you bring are stories that if Republicans told more often would powerfully move. I mean, we're all worried about the suburbs, right? Every Republican is obsessed mm -hmm. with a suburban, white, college-educated female who subscribes to the New York Times. It's like the number one thing that anybody ever talks about mm -hmm. on every single polling call in every political conversation I've ever had. But that being said, the immigration issue is being largely defined by the left. They have defined it as a humanitarian issue. And if you do believe in having a sovereign nation, then you are a heartless person. And if you believe that a nation should make a decision, a determination on how liberal our laws should be, based on most people's perspectives, you would have a hard time if you did have a completely secure border convincing everybody that nobody should immigrate into America. Right. right. I mean, that's just the reality. People would tell stories. You'd have 
stories of these seven-year-olds and these 10-year-olds and these families and these people that came, and we are a nation of immigrants. Mm -hmm. But right now, publicly elected officials, Republicans and Democrats alike, can walk down to the border and literally greet illegal immigrants who are walking into our nation. Yep. That is the state. And then to your point, I don't know if a single person who crosses that river has not paid a cartel to get across. In fact, I would actually rather safely determine that I don't know that any of them. I mean, I think that every single one of those people or their family members have literally saved whatever they could save and paid all of it to the cartels to get somebody across America who very likely could just be stuck in a van and shipped to Houston. And so that has nothing, opposing that is literally humanitarian behavior. And the people of Mexico do not have operational control of their country. I mean, I, this gets into a little bit of foreign policy and yeah. other stuff like this, but at some point, these are not, this is not the people of Mexico that are deciding that they should immigrate into America. Mexico is, I don't even know that Mexico is run by a government. Mexico is largely controlled it, by it's a, a narco-terrorist state. That's criminal what it is. terrorist organization. Yep. They run the country. The Reynosa faction of the Gulf Cartel, they run Tamaulipas. That is the state opposite uh, yep. McAllen yep. at the Rio Grande. Uh, the Cartel Don Reste operates the vast majority of yep. uh, Nuevo Laredo. The Mexican government, police, and military have no real operational control over that part of Mexico. Yes. They have very little control over the whole country with a massive network of cartels, the Sinaloas and others, that are actually controlling what's happening. You have uh, you know, uh, terrorist states around the world yep. that are funding uh, campaigns in Mexico. Uh, Mexico is as dangerous as it's ever been. Mm. Meanwhile, the Northern Triangle countries, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, uh, they're getting decimated. They're getting decimated by cartels who are moving a lot of their people across Mexico to the mm -hmm. United States for profit. And you had the president of El Salvador, who's on Tucker Carlson three weeks ago, saying, guys, my country's being decimated. We're losing people. And this is all because of policies that you guys are allowing to occur while mm. the cartels are exploiting those policies mm. under the idea of asylum. When I was at the Rio Grande last Monday night, I've got a picture of it on my phone, and I'll send it to you if you want to post it somehow. There's a picture of a sign that says Asilo with an arrow pointing three miles mm -hmm. this way, down if you go down the Rio Grande. And it's on a piece of paper with the letterhead of the Department of Homeland Security. They're basically saying asylum this way. Well, of every individual who crosses our, our, the Rio Grande and comes into our country and seeks asylum under the current data, about 93% of them are immediately kicked out if they actually have a hearing mm -hmm. because they don't have credible fear of persecution. Mm -hmm. People listening to this, you have to have fear of persecution under our laws, political persecution, religious persecution. You can't just come because as the young man that I asked and Breitbart recorded the video and they put mm -hmm. it out on the internet, yep. if you Google it, I asked him, why are you coming? I asked him all the same questions. Yep. So, well, how'd you get here? Why are you coming? And uh, he said, better job, better opportunity. Yep. Can't get work at home. And you know what, Luke, let me just say for all out there listening, God bless him. I don't have any issue with what he wants to do. Yep. He wants to come to America. I would too. You would too. Yep. You would do anything for your kids and your family to come to our country. And God bless them. But we should be adults figuring out how to not endanger them and their lives and their countries, yep. making it worse in our southern border, endangering our citizens. Because guess what? And that's the part we haven't talked about. The dangerous elements coming in between the ports of entry that we don't know. The Yemenis that were caught a few days ago, mm. the guy with a chip in his shoe, the number of people that are coming that are now from parts all over the world, yes. the extent to which we know that Chinese espionage is coming in between ports of entry. Our southern border is now being exploited to endanger us. 
And we ought to get busy, recognize we're a sovereign nation again, or we're going to end up hurting ourselves and the immigrants who seek to come here. So I want to go back a little bit. One of the things I've always admired about you as a congressman is I feel like you get a little bit of the broader conversation that's happening. Um, why do you think that's the case? Do you think that's because you were a staffer before? And the reason I ask that question is because I often sometimes think that people who are operatives and staffers can sometimes look at the elected officials and kind of see how there are these broader conversations. But then when you're on the floor, when you're in the heat of battle, you get so kind of distracted mm -hmm. by this process that's created on every level, the local, the school board, the state, the federal. So where do you think those who do get a little bit of the broader picture, 30,000 foot view, where do you think that comes from? I think it comes from two things and I'm making this up. You just yep. asked me the question. I think this is from my gut. Two things. One if you're rooted firmly in the principles that you went there. I was talking to somebody today who's about to run for Congress in another mm -hmm. state. He sought my opinion, my advice. And I just, and he's a conservative and a good solid guy, but he's asking, how's it work? And I said, look, the most important thing is you can't run uh, seeking the power of being in Congress. Mm -hmm. You got to run the campaign of what you believe in. And then when you get to Congress, operate on that. Do what you mm -hmm. said you would do. Mm -hmm. The people who would do what you said you would do, uh, that would operate on principles. And look, we have tough votes up there, okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't vote in lockstep with the Freedom Caucus. They don't mm -hmm. vote lockstep with me. Um, you know, there are tough decisions we have to make at times. You try to re represent your constituents, but you know the principles that guide you, even mm -hmm. on the toughest votes. I've had a few tough votes that I've had some interesting conversations with some of my constituents recently, and I go tell them exactly why I did what I did mm -hmm. and, and explain it because I owe that to them. Mm -hmm. That's the difference, right? If you're willing to do that and go explain it. The second thing is, I know you're a Christian. Uh, Christians listening to this will understand what's really critically, fundamentally important for you to keep walking the walk. Mm -hmm. accountability groups, mm -hmm. accountability, uh, you know, Bible study groups or, or buddies or friends mm -hmm. or family. And to the extent that we have a great group in the Freedom Caucus or others where you're, you're checking each other mm -hmm. and you're constantly checking on what's this bill, what are we doing, how are we going to fight, there's accountability, right? Mm -hmm. There's accountability to say, am I trying to Am I veering off of the lane that I was elected mm -hmm. to come do? And and I think that's part of why I'm still optimistic. I'm highly um, concerned. Mm -hmm. I believe the, the clock is ticking. Mm -hmm. I started off by talking about 2026. Um, I believe that's kind of a five-year marker that we need to sort of set out there and say, guys, we're going to save this country based on freedom and its founding principles, or we're going to save freedom and our founding principles some other way. But whatever it's going to take, <laughs> yeah. we're going to do it. I'm optimistic that we can do it, but we better get busy trying. And, and the reason I'm optimistic are the number of people who who do get it now in ways mm -hmm. that they didn't used to. But man, we still have a big uphill slog. Yeah. So I do want to talk a little bit. I want to give people a little bit of your background, how you got involved in politics. And uh, I don't want to do the, you know, campaign speech. I'm right, born right. here, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. But um, tell people, I think you have a little bit of a more unique I mean, most people don't go at some point you golfed, you know, mm. rather competitively. So yeah. we'll get there. But um, yeah, so give a little bit of your background about where you went from here to there, because some of our listeners are getting more and more engaged. In fact, I'm encouraged. Yeah. I get messages from people going, I think I'm going to run for office this yeah. year. Right. And so people who literally and I've had conversations with them one on one where they go three years ago, I wouldn't even do anything politically. Mm -hmm. And now I'm worried about my country. I don't know where we're going. I might run for county commissioner. I'm yep. looking at a school board position. I'm doing that. So Give a little bit of your story because I like our listeners and viewers getting perspective on where how you go from here to there. 
Sure. And I'll try to do the short version, but yes. it does a little bit go back to yes. bio and born. So yep. family been in Texas since the 1850s. So it goes way back. And great, great grandfather was a Texas Ranger. My grandmother was a county clerk. She was a single mom after my grandfather yep. had been the chief of police died. And I can go through the whole story. My dad had polio, but here's, here's the reason that background is important because I grew up with public servants in my, in my life and yes. people who'd served as cops and, yes. and had been, you know, uh, working that way. And, and it also been, you know, had, had had to pull themselves up. Like mm -hmm. they had some tough, you know, rows to hoe. And mm -hmm. so that was my background. And then uh, mom and dad moved up to the Virginia area for quote two years, mm -hmm. 20 years later, I'd gone to high school there and gone to the university of Virginia. And I bring that up because I, I got a business degree and I went into investment banking and I was working in that world, but I was steeped in our American founding and had mm -hmm. gone to, you know, UVA, which was founded by Thomas Jefferson. And I yep. lived in a room built by Jefferson. And mm -hmm. my first job was literally right down the hill from where uh, Patrick Henry gave his famous, you know, give me liberty, give me yep. death speech at St. John's church in Richmond up there on yep. Church Hill. And I could sit here and go through that. You know, I lived near Harper's Ferry and we went and reenacted John Brown's raid and we went up to Gettysburg. Yep. I was immersed in it and I yep. loved it. I loved American history and I just sort of dove in it. I didn't major in it because I read it. I enjoyed it. I yep. you know, went and got a major from, you know, in finance and yep. information systems. Probably so, do you better than a degree in history. Well, that's kind of what I, that was my thinking. It's like, yeah. I want to go get a job, right? So I want to go <laughs> get totally training, yep. but I, I read history, love it, yes. lived it. And so all of that now le leads to, I kind of thought, well, so I was working and I was like, I'm going to go to law school. Because I had an undergraduate business degree and I had a master's degree. I had, you'd mentioned I'd played golf in, in college and uh, I'd quit and it caddied for a golf team of mine. I was living in Hilton Head, South Carolina for a year, just taking a break. And my dad had had a recurring polio issue. So I took mm -hmm. care of my family for a bit, did a little consulting work while I applied to go to law school. And so applied to University of Texas, got in. And uh, the George W. Bush uh, Al Gore campaign was going on. It was mm -hmm. fall of 2000. So I volunteered on the campaign. Then I volunteered. I went to work in the uh, office of the Texas Attorney General, mm -hmm. uh, who was then John Cornyn. Yep. Uh, worked on his O2 campaign. And um, and then uh, he asked me to come work in Washington on the Senate Judiciary Committee. I mm -hmm. thought, that'd be cool. I'll go do that for a year or two. And then I'm going to go to the private sector. Well, and this is where the Lord laughs at you and has a different yep. plan. And I won't go through my whole life story. But, you know, I then served there, came back as a prosecutor, worked for Governor Perry. And helped him write a book called Fed Up. Yep. And I've just always been in and around this kind of conservative public policy sphere, thinking I was going to go out to the private sector, but the Lord kind of laughed me back into public service, mm -hmm. whether it was a federal prosecutor or in the AG's office. And then when uh, Congressman Lamar Smith, my predecessor, who had served for 30-ish years, uh, announced he was uh, leaving office three and a half years ago, mm -hmm. um, there was a crowded field, and I didn't, I didn't really believe that the field was was uh, was going to produce someone that would go to Washington and necessarily kind of know how to get things done and change the field. So I yep. decided to throw my name in and uh, got in and, and uh, you know, the Lord got me through the, and a lot of hard work and, and yes. people beating doors and, and making phone calls, got me through a crowded primary runoff in the general. And then last year I was blessed not to have a primary runoff, but had a crowded, I mean, had a, a you know, $30 million race against Wendy yes. Davis. So, yes. you know, I, for anybody thinking about running, all I would say is, is, just get into it because you truly want to change the game, not because mm -hmm. you want to have a title. Yep. Um, I, you know, I, one of the nicest things somebody said about me was Brian Phillips, who does communications work for the Texas Public Policy Foundation. I was at an event earlier this year and he said, I don't know anybody in Congress who could care less about him if he lost his job than Chip Roy. And uh, but it, but yep. but it cares more about the people he represents and wanting to fight the fight. And I don't know if that's true, but it yep. was a nice thing to have said about you yep. because that's the way I feel. I. I, I like doing what I do and I feel like the Lord has me there for a reason. Um, and that's, what's important. But, um, but it's, but the title and the being in, in the house, it's an honor, but it's, 
it's not a it's not a thing that you seek to achieve because yep. what you want to achieve is freedom. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, at the end of the day, it's what I want because as a Christian, uh, you know, we advance the mission of Christ more easily, more readily, and that's the whole purpose of, of our existence here mm-hmm. in a free country. That's mm-hmm. just the truth. You know, this country's existence has meant more for the the spreading of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, besides you know Paul and and, and those great guys in yeah. Acts and so forth. <laughs> but but in terms of numbers and yes. volume and what this yep. country is represented, it's it's extraordinary. You said something that I think is important is it's changed the game. And I think it's interesting that whenever you get elected, because you've been with these people and I've helped various different people across various different spectrums. And and I found it doesn't matter if you run for school board, city council, county commissioner, state house, state senate, congress, anything else. You show up and everybody who's there convinces you that we're actually all doing a good job fighting for mm-hmm. the people, right? And there's there's almost this denial, and I actually think that most politicians are in denial, that the current system is not working. And you said something where you're trying to change the system, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that's incredibly important because it implies that the system isn't working for the people. And that alone is kind of hard. There's a there's kind of a self-awareness needed, and to be honest, to like admit that. Because you have to show up, and then it's kind of a weird thing. I tell people, you have a job. Let's say you work at USAA, right? Like imagine walking into USAA and then telling all your employees, this place sucks. <laughs> and like we screw over everybody and the customers are getting hosed. And then saying, I'm going to go back to work every day. It's not going to be very fun. Like honestly, your own employees are going to start going, hey, we don't like this guy. And you know what? You're definitely not going to get promoted from within. Like nobody within is going to go, you know what? He should be a manager, which on Congress would be like, he should be a floor leader, right? He should be a whip. He should be this. And so then they're going to go keep him down at like the floor level. And we can't really fire him because there was this democratically elected process that put him in here and we don't get to hire and fire. That's that's what yeah. the way I described all those. Although tell Marjorie Taylor Greene about, you know, yeah. how much they're trying that's to right. use their power to kick people out. And look, does that I make mean, sense? Yeah. So I'm try- I thought that that analogy, because it's, yeah. it's the only thing that makes sense. It also gives I'm trying to give grace to people who show up and then just decide yeah. I want to stick with the system. And that's why I think they do, because they're like, look, I have to show up to work every day. And I've just realized that, like. If you tell people that this business, which is the system, is not helping people, they take it personally. The, they this, all think you're personally insulting themselves. You know, I, I again, this could be an entire podcast, and it'd be yep. interesting. Well, you that'll know, be the have, next one. Definitely. It really would be interesting, right? I mean, when you talk to Senator Ted Cruz, yep. and I was his chief, Senator Mike Lee, Senator Rand Paul, yep. when you go to the House, you talk to the Freedom Caucus guys. I mean, you are on some lonely islands sometime. And even when you have a few yeah. compadres, right? You're you're sitting there and you're good. The man, the 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 laser is shooting through the back of your mm-hmm. head. So two years ago this June, when I objected to the $19 billion yep. of spending, yep. I was like, Chip, what are you doing? But that wasn't as big of a deal as when I then started objecting to all of the amendments being offered mm-hmm. in an appropriations process and forced about, I don't know, 50, 60 votes on the floor of the House mm-hmm. into like three, four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I was doing that because they weren't doing what they needed to do to fund the border. And, uh, you know, we needed to to force the issue on that, mm-hmm. as well as some other things that were going on at the time. There were multiple issues. So, guys, no, we're not going to just let you move these things through by unanimous mm-hmm. consent and voice vote. Vote. 
man, the number of people come in, who was that son of a bleep who's uh, forcing yep. all these votes? I yep. got a dinner I got to go to. Yep. Well, hell's bells. I'm sorry if you had to miss your you know, steak dinner because I'm forcing you to vote on a bill yep. or vote on an amendment. Yep. But it, it really is, a. It, you have to be willing to have people look at you and not like you, mm -hmm. okay, in that group. Now, that's a balance because yep. you, you want to be able to get yep. stuff done. You want to be able yep. to work with folks. But at the end of the day, if, I, I view it this way. If I'm not popular in a body that has about a 9% approval rating, yeah. maybe that's okay. Yep. Uh, but but I do think it's important, and what I try to do yep. is always tell people ahead of time, here's what I'm doing, here's why I'm doing it, and, and not get personal. Yep. Uh, and and I'm gonna get personal when they're you know when I'm talking about that seven year old girl. I'm gonna get yes. personal when they're attacking my rights. I'm gonna I'm gonna yep. you know go after them on the floor. But you know they're. You got to work with folks. Yes, and so right. talk to them, do it. That's fine. You know, I worked with the Democrat to move a bill last summer, the yep. PPP Flexibility yep. Act, et cetera. Yep. But, and you can do that and people respect you. And I've, I've been pretty amazed as long as you explain it. Yes. People generally respect where you're coming from. If you're, yep. if you're working hard and fighting, just show up. Right. Yep. And, and I know that there are some times that you have fought that even people in the Freedom Caucus or others probably also didn't like what you were doing. Meaning they're going to be, there are going to be fights you have that even your own friends don't always want you to have. Right. And that's natural, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there might be a time that I go, I'm going to fight on something. You're like, Luke, that's not yeah. a, a hill to die on for right. me. I'm fighting on this deal. Yep. And so it's that back and forth. But I've really, um, yeah, I think the changing the system is, is kind of the key about what you said when it comes to not changing or, or, or staying the same, which is that most people who get elected to Congress and, you know, when you have these open seats and there's 27 people running in a Republican district, they all say Congress is broken. Right. But the truth is within a year or two, nine out of 10 of the ones elected are convinced, uh, actually the Republicans here are really trying to do the right thing. Right. Right. Which means that thing I told everybody when I went there, I do not believe anymore. And well, when I was on the you're now not trying to change the system anymore. When I was on the floor a few weeks ago with Marjorie Taylor Greene, yes. and we objected on what they call the suspension calendar. Mm -hmm. Well, there were 10 Democrat bills, three Republican bills. It was a Monday. They had just spent the previous week attacking Marjorie. They're continuing to make us go through magnetometers. They're all voting by proxy voting. Yep. We have a fence with the razor wire around the Capitol. Yep. We never get to offer amendments. They're jamming through a $2 trillion bill, and they want to jam through 10 of their bills uh, and then what does our Republican leadership say? They say, well, you know, those are bills that ha aren't controversial. And if we don't let those go through, they're just going to pass a rule and they're going to pass them anyway. And, and I said, guys, hold on. This is the problem. This is what, this is what our people are so <laughs> mad about. Yep. You guys are saying and putting your thumbprint and, and, and allowing these bills to go through. We don't even really support them. Or some of you do. And then all of a sudden they go through by voice vote. And, and the American people are going, why did you just spend half a million dollars on a child protection bill, allegedly, for for uh, uh, for children that then gets into all this soji, you know, uh, sexual orientation, gender yep. identity stuff? Yep. And, and you guys voted for it by voice. Well, we just demanded yays and nays, okay? Yep. You would have thought that I was asking them all to sacrifice their firstborn yes. by forcing them simply to vote yes or no yes. on an amendment. Yep. Man, and you have people come up to me, well, Chip, you know, don't you know, this This is one of the last things we have bipartisan. Steny Hoyer calls me up. He said, you know, Roy, what are you doing? I said, Steny, you and I both know this place is broken. We never offer amendments. We never are able to yep. debate. We never get a chance to actually sit down on the floor back and forth. He and I have had a few colloquies, which are the sum total of all of the colloquies in the entire House this mm -hmm. year. And there hasn't been an amendment offered on the floor of the House of Representatives in what's called open rule. Yep. That means a member can go down and offer an amendment yes. on the bill yep. since May of 2016. 
Yep. Five years. That's under both parties' control. Yep. And so I digress, and I could talk about that for a long time, but the main point is if you rock the boat, you know, they're going to shoot lasers through your head. But but every time in my experience, when you're rocking the boat, you're shifting things and you're causing the American people to see what is so broken. Mm. And you're giving life to this country. You're giving life to the system the founders gave us, and you're breathing life back into it. Mm. And that's, that's our job right now, is to breathe life back into this really, truly great system mm. that uh, I still believe can thrive if we allow it. But we got to we got to we got to get it going again. Uh, you know, I a lot of our listeners and 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 viewers follow Texas politics specifically national a little bit, but we spend a lot of time talking about Texas. And one of the things I've uh, talked recently about is my concern over how the Texas House is becoming a little bit more like D.C. with those amendment fights we had. I guess it was just last last week. Um, an entire CPS reform bill that actually is, by the way, a great piece of legislation. TPPF, all these other groups are supporting this legislation. And the legislation is specifically set up to limit the amount of times we take children away. Okay. So basically saying we don't want to remove children. It's unnecessary. And um, Representative Brian Slayton tried to put an amendment on, which in any other past session would be germane. Uh, And all it said was, if you're not affirming your child's belief that they are the opposite sex, you Mm -hmm. can't remove them. And by the way, in fact, on the Luke Messiah show, I don't know, episode something, 50 or something with Krista McIntyre, we had a whole sit down with a CPS caseworker, advocate who advocates for families, who literally told a story about the fact that we have families in Texas who are being investigated by CPS, the state agency run in a Republican government, because they're not affirming their child's belief that they are the opposite sex. We had an autistic boy who's a teenager who thought he was a girl and literally CPS, Texas taxpayer dollars, giving them handouts saying, here's where you can sexually transition your child, right? We have Jeff Younger who's had CPS called on him five times because he cut his boy's hair because he doesn't dress, put him in a dress. So you offer an amendment. You say this entire massive CPS reform is talking about neglect, abuse. All I want to say is this is not neglect. And they debate it. Democrats offer a point of order. They debate it for 30 minutes. And the speaker says it's not germane because it's a parental rights issue, not a neglect issue, which is a really weird ruling. And in fact, I had some very senior Republicans in one-on-one conversations who I won't name for their own, you know, I guess survival, uh, but that said, this is the worst ruling I've ever seen. One of my concerns, and I think one of the things Texans needs to watch the Texas House for mm-hmm. and the Senate is that if the House, one of the things that's unique, and you've seen this in Texas, is that we do offer open debate. We've mm-hmm. allowed open debate for a long time, right. and we still are. Today, we had a, some great discussions on the House floor on America First sourcing, on pornography regulation. But if we start trying to censure everything based on the chair's decision of what we're going to discuss, right, that's going to become, you've witnessed that at D.C., right? You know yeah. what it's like when a couple people at the top just say, we're going to decide everything. And it really destroys the an entire legislative process. Well, I certainly am going to be far from someone who's going to fully defend the Texas legislature as being as conservative as it should have been over the last 20 years. And neither would you. Um, But uh, it certainly is more functional uh, than is Washington. And, you know, even just, uh, let's see, last week, uh, I went down and testified on Briscoe Cain's bill uh, on HB6 for election reform. And that was my second attempt Mm -hmm. because the first time I'd gone down there, as you know, it got blown up. 
yep. because the vice chair uh, was basically countenancing <laughs> essentially a rebellion from certain members in the yep. House saying that they needed to essentially take over the committee. Yes. And uh, this is the kind of thing that you start worrying about what it's going to do to yep. the Texas House. Say, guys, you know, we, we, we work together. Let's offer amendments. Let's debate the issues. Let's not turn it into the circus show that is yep. Washington. Because I'm telling you, all that the House of Representatives in Washington has turned into is I go to Washington, I push a red red button, mm -hmm. occasionally a green button, usually when it's one of our amendments to undo something. Yep. And then I go give a speech, sometimes on the floor, but it's hard to get floor time, or I go give a speech in front of a camera somewhere or mm -hmm. a you know a video camera. Yep. That's what I do. We've <laughs> we have not had a hearing on mm -hmm. any one of the bills passed this year. Mm. Not one. All of those bills have been passed. No hearing, no committee wow. work. It just went straight to the floor, $2 trillion. Straight to the floor, HB6 uh, amnesty. Straight to the floor, HR8 gun bill. H to the floor, uh, H, uh, straight to the floor, HR1 election yep. reform bill. Yep. Um, that's the reality of what's been happening on the floor of the House of Representatives. Uh, and we do not want that to come to Texas. And, and I'll say one last thing about Texas. Man, this session, and we're halfway over, Texas needs to finish strong man i mean yep. we have got to send a loud message on yep. election reform we got to send a loud message on guns we got to send a loud message on the border yep. offer any support we can uh we need to demonstrate that texas is going to stand up and lead uh frankly we're giving a little way to desantis and some mm -hmm. others that are starting to lead and we, yep. we need to get up there and lead again you uh i think that election reform uh hearing is a great little insight that i, I think brings up kind of a contrast between Democrats and Republicans. Mm -hmm. So uh, the truth is Jessica Gonzalez, who is a very far left liberal member from Dallas, who's the vice chair of the elections. Chair. Yep. She's been appointed vice chair by the Republican speaker. That's fine. Decides to basically lead an insurrection, which mm -hmm. by the way, you and I have watched the Texas house for a long time. We've never seen this. Like mm -hmm. we've never seen a vice chair just go, I've got the gavel, which right. she did. Yeah. But here's what I point out to people. Nicole Collier and all these other Democrats, they were with her. Okay, mm -hmm. they were working together to completely foil the process. Okay, so when Democrats do this, guess what they didn't get? They didn't get brought into the back office by all the Democrat leadership and say, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. They were like, this is awesome. We just foiled their plans for a week. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Chip Roy, go down to the floor and say, I think we should have eyes and nays. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just Democrats coming up to you saying, Chip, what are you doing? What's going on? It was Republicans. And yep. I might bring that up to, to explain to people they fight differently than us. Mm -hmm. Like Democrats fight differently. I tell people, Jessica Gonzalez completely destroyed the process. She's probably the person you'd want in like an alleyway if there was a knife fight. Mm -hmm. Cause like that girl, whatever she believes, I vehemently disagree with her, mm -hmm. but she's like, evidently she clearly it. thinks this is really important. Cause she's like, I will, I'm holding this gavel, right? What Republican would even do that, even try. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's where I get a little concerned uh, not by anything you said, but I think that just brings up another point of uh, you have the um, the Overton window. We discussed mm -hmm. that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, but you have these different instances of what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. And I feel like Democrats as a party in general, not everybody, but Democrats more often than us are actually trying to push their ideas aggressively further left. And we're just happy if we get a little bit of a victory towards the top. And so I'm just interested in your general observation too, because you've seen a lot more process stuff of how that works in DC and Texas. Just what, at what point do you think, and this goes to your five or six year time period that you say, 
when are Republicans going to wake up and go, well, we need to fight on all these levels? So this is where I think the president, former president, President yes. Trump's great strengths lie. Yes. And the reason he has such a, a strong following, I think it's the reason why you saw so many Hispanic voters in the Rio Grande Valley flocking to Trump. Uh, when everybody said all these Republican wishy-washy yep. hand ringers, chamber of commerce, you know, we can't stand up for border security. Nonsense. Yep. Nonsense. Yep. Hispanic Americans, they want a strong border. That's right. Hispanic Americans aboard and who are working at uh, CBP, yep. they know the cartels are trying to kill us. Yep. They want a strong border. Uh, Trump got up and led. Trump didn't look back and hand ring and wonder what people were going to think of him. Yep. You know, and he took all the arrows and any impeachment fights. And so if Republicans back away from that yes they die yes if republicans can figure out how to take that and it's not even the policy issues mm -hmm. as much as just the willingness to fight that's right and and that's that's the truth and mm -hmm. you know what, what i would say is is that we've got this is my point going back to what i started with the the we got a five-year window until 2026 mm -hmm. we american loving conservatives republicans if you are one mm -hmm. we have a limited window to save this great experiment for our kids and grandkids. Mm. I believe that in a way that I mean, we say, Oh, this is the most important election of our lifetime. All these things over the years, guys at $30 trillion of debt, we've spent 6 trillion in the last year. Uh, they're trying to do a $3 trillion infrastructure bill. Uh, we've got wide open borders. China's trying to kill us. Our currency may not be the reserve currency. They're trying to get rid of our ability yeah. to have natural gas, you know, et cetera, and lead the world in energy. We're saddling up with Iran. I can go on and on and on judges. Yep. We got to get busy, and I mean now. And the only way to do it is to stand up and be heard, is stand up and fight. Stand up against all of these corporate cronies who are trying to take your country mm -hmm. away. Major League Baseball, stick it to them. Don't let them get away with taking the All-Star game, moving it from Atlanta, 50% black city, mm -hmm. to Denver, 10% black city, and pretend that somehow they're doing something great for black yeah. Americans. It was a fraud, total yeah. fraud. Call them out on it. Call American Airlines out. Call Southwest Airlines out. Call Michael Dell out because they're going after Texas legislators for daring to want to have an election mm -hmm. system we can believe in. Call them out and do it loudly and proudly. Stop kowtowing to these corporate fascists. That's mm -hmm. what they are, yep. uh, these woke fascists. Yep. And, uh, and, and get down to the legislature. Make them stand up and have a strong legislative finish a good special if we need one for redistricting or anything not done. Yep. And then tell these corporate hacks to pound sand. We love America. We love Texas. And uh, if we do that and we stand up and fight, and if your leaders do that, mm -hmm. then we've got a shot. And that's, that's, that's what I put my faith in besides the Lord almighty that we can uh, save this country. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you, Chip, for coming. Thank you for having the conversation. Anytime you're in San Antonio, you're, you're welcome to come by. Happy to do it, Luke. Thanks for being a voice for reason and sanity, and uh, happy to join and look forward to doing it again. God bless you. You too. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. This program is brought to you by Scorecard Media. Check out texasscorecard.com to read up on all things Texas. Scorecard Media has other podcasts as well. Yeah, they're not as good as this one, but you should still check them out. Honestly, though, visit texasscorecard.com to see all the content they're producing on a daily basis. If you'd like our podcast to grow, please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review. That helps others find the content we're producing. Thank you. God bless you and God bless Texas. Texas.